0: I asked you to come on to talk about biblical theology and you were ecstatic <laughs> to talk about it and man uh I, I know that's a common common joy of ours so so let's get right into it man what what is biblical theology because I I know for me when I first heard the term right you think theology that is biblical right um, and that's not exactly what biblical theologians are getting at and so what's biblical theology and how does that differ from other systems of hermeneutics
1: what a good question brother and you're right that is the common assumption that was the assumption i had it's just theology that's biblical and although it's true it is theology based on scripture based on the bible biblical theology is the discipline uh, of studying god's word as the Lord has revealed himself from Genesis to Revelation. Uh And so when we think about uh, reformed theology, we're oftentimes introduced to reformed theology in systematic theology, studying the different topics of the Bible, thinking of uh, a circle, how this doctrine fits together with this doctrine and so on. Biblical theology is actually... Looking at Scripture as an unfolding story, and so it keeps in mind a linear, the linear timeline where the Lord has progressively, over and uh, more and more, continually revealed His plan of salvation concerning Christ from Genesis uh, to Revelation, mm-hmm. and so this idea of biblical theology uh, became. Um, uh, Really crystallized and, and clarified by theologians like uh, Gerhardus Voss, who taught at Princeton Theological Seminary. He was a part of Old Princeton, along with B.B. Warfield and others, when it was strong. Right. Uh, and then some of his students um, who learned under him continued teaching it. Um, and I've been blessed to study God's Word at Westminster Theological Seminary, where biblical theology is uh, really central. Uh, and I'll just say, as a pastor, it's crucial for preaching, hmm. uh, because this past Sunday I preached on Genesis chapter 18, hmm. and I not only preached uh, what was going on in the text uh, for Abraham and Sarah at that moment as the Lord came down as a man as a in a Christophany to appear to Abraham, um, but how that passage fit together in God's one uh, story of salvation fulfilled hmm. in Christ. And so to answer your question, Chris, uh, that I think uh, our listeners who may not be as aware of it um, should be, it will be a blessing for them as they read God's word and and see how each passage that they're reading fits together in the one unfolding story of redemption fulfilled in Christ. Anything you'd add to that, Brother
0: Chris? No, that's that's excellent. Um, And yeah, just... This the the idea of this unfolding progressive story, right? Of of ultimately what the whole Bible is about, right? And I don't want to I don't want to steal the thunder of what we're what we're going to get to here in a second, but for me, brother, this was so so encouraging and central to my thinking. I, I remember first when I got this illumination, right, when I was reading um, David Murray, I believe that's the name, where he talks about Jesus on every page and i was a young christian coming to this idea and that was for me brother that was mind-blowing like what does the garden have to do with jesus you know and you know all, all those themes right like you can go through the old testament and i would encourage any young preacher any young theologian like if they're struggling with a text we we could simply ask the question how does this point to christ right and yes. make that connection and so man i think that's excellent um so you wrote an album really stressing this. Um, if for those who do not know, uh, Timothy Brindle, he is a, a Christian artist, um, and he wrote an album and also a book dealing with the unfolding the, the unfolding mystery of Christ essentially, right? Um, and you on that album you specifically uh, wrote a song um, uh, <laughs> elaborating on Luke twenty four. Um, and the central point of Luke 24 is that the Old Testament is about the death and resurrection of Christ. Can, can you elaborate on how this is the case?
1: Absolutely. You know, it's um, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because we have the author of Scripture himself. Mm. Right. God the Son uh, telling us what his book is all about. His his Bible, right. and uh, it's amazing. He is quite clear that he is the the subject of the Old Testament. Mm. Uh, we'll look at First Peter one later, in, in other passages that show he's the author of the Old Testament, along with the Father and the Spirit, as everything that each person in the Trinity does, mm. uh, the other person is 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 uh, doing it with him. Uh, but it's really amazing that in Luke's Gospel, Uh, Jesus is raised from the dead, as he is in all the gospels, but he puts a special emphasis on the Old Testament fulfillment uh, through his his death and resurrection. And so, in Luke chapter 24, there are two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. They don't recognize our Lord who's been raised from the dead, Uh, and it's quite clear they doubt. Uh, The lady disciples, uh, the women followers of Christ, who told these two men that they uh, have seen the empty tomb. They've heard that Christ is alive. And it's very interesting that in verse 25, Jesus says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe what the women eyewitnesses have said. No, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets Mm. have spoken. Mm. Was it not necessary? And this word here, necessary, means it's something that had to happen, something that had to be fulfilled. Was it not necessary that the Christ, Jesus calls himself the Messiah, the anointed one, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, Joshua all the way through Malachi, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning Himself, Wow. And so Jesus is, he rebukes these disciples, not because they didn't believe the eyewitnesses, which they should have, but he's saying just as sure, if not more, is the Old Testament. And it's Moses, the prophets, and as he goes on in the chapter, it's not only the five books of Moses, the prophets, also the Psalms, summarizing uh, the poetry and wisdom sections of the old testament so jesus is saying it isn't even just some parts of the old testament it's all the parts that are about me uh and it it had to happen it was promised it was prophesied it was foreshadowed it was prefigured in types and so on and so jesus he doesn't even give them the benefit of doubt you know what maybe you guys just um had the wrong hermeneutics professor (laughs) <laughs> or maybe it's just that these things were so difficult to understand. I know you really wanted to. He says, you are slow of heart, mm. dull of heart. And when he calls them foolish, he's basically saying you're unbelieving. Mm. And so it isn't an intellectual or academic issue. It's a it's a moral theological suppression of what was super clear. And so our Lord uh, then begins to unpack for them how the old Testament is about him in, in all of its parts. And so that's just a brief overview answer, brother, but uh, that's what our Lord is so adamant about in, in Luke chapter 24.
0: No, that's, that's, that's good. Uh, Let's, so let's move into this. So in, in your second verse, you kind of unpack some things right there. Um, If I can quote you, you say, um, when, when dealing with this, this issue of Luke 24 and uh, 46, you say, uh, is he just pointing to a couple of scriptures we call messianic that give us a prediction like Isaiah chapter 53 and per- perhaps Psalm 22 and Psalm 16 specifically, right? Like is is Jesus when he says just, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, to Moses and the prophets, is he just referring to a couple of verses? Um, you seem to think or you seem to believe that many people have minimized. Christ and like we, we we only have just a few texts that that are clearly messianic but uh could uh, could you elaborate one how that's not true from Luke from from uh 44 through 46 uh for us please
1: yes brother I'd love to and so in verse 45 Jesus opens their minds mm. to understand the scriptures and that's very similar to verse 27 he interpreted Uh, the scriptures to them. And so we have the author of the Bible also is the one illuminating and making clear the scriptures. And essentially what Jesus does for his disciples here is what his Holy Spirit does for you and I, Chris, and for every believer uh, as we read his word prayerfully. It's the Spirit who illuminates the word. But it's striking that in verse 46, Jesus says to them, thus it is written, now, this phrase, thus it is written, this this uh, uh, very important Greek word, a comparative conjunction, hutos, it often uh, can be translated in this way it right. is written, or in this manner it is written, or so it is written. And usually when thus it is written is used, then it gives a quotation. Uh, thus it is written. In the prophet Isaiah, thus it is written in the, in the prophet Hosea, uh, thus it is written in Moses and so on. But Jesus doesn't give a specific quote here. Instead, he gives a a blanket statement, a general blanket statement in this way. It is written in this way. The scriptures are written. Well, in what way are the scriptures written Lord? What is the manner in which the scriptures are written? It's this. That the Christ must suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and so Jesus is able as the author of the scriptures and the subject and fulfillment of scripture, he doesn't even need to quote a specific verse. This is the way that the Bible has been written. It's about my death and resurrection. Wow, is what he's saying. So that right there is crucial uh, to 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 help us to see. He doesn't even need to point to just a specific messianic prophecy. The entire Old Testament is about him. Right. Now, Chris, I would also want to say when he mentions the Christ suffering and then being raised up from death, he likely has in mind a passage like Psalm 105. And in Psalm 105, the Lord. Uh, tells the offspring of Abraham to worship him. And then he begins to go through redemptive history and talk about how he promised land to Abraham and it was given to Isaac and to Jacob and they wandered about in the land of promise. And then he goes on to say, I rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not mine anointed. Mm. Touch not my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. We know that many uh, false health and wealth teachers love to quote that verse touch not thy Lord's anointed. Hey, I'm the Lord's anointed. Well, actually, this word here for the Lord's anointed is the word for Messiah, Mashiach. But it's in the plural and it's parallel. It's unpacked by my prophets. My anointed ones are my prophets. And in that context, it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Joseph, Moses, and these were the Lord's anointed ones, His Christ's, as the word Christ in in Greek is is the translation of of the Hebrew word for Messiah. These are the lowercase c Christ's, meaning the representatives of God who were either prophets, priests, or kings in the Old Testament, and they suffered, they were afflicted, and the Lord raised them up out of it. And so the psalmist begins to show the cycle of redemptive history. That uh, this uh, this pattern that God has set in his word is that his people are wilderness wanderers. They go down to Egypt or they're exiled and they're raised up out of it. And it prefigures or points to a resurrection. Mm. And so it's not only the different sections of scripture. It's not only the various prophecies and, and promises and covenants. It's the entire movement of scripture is one of death and resurrection, suffering In glory
0: yeah man that's so those are a few things chris yes that's 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 excellent um you 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 make a similar point in head crusher i i absolutely love this song head crusher because uh well well, i'll ask the question first is uh that you, you 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 kind of give a rebuke of those who read the old testament in this uh you know, let's uh, let's say for example, David and Goliath, right? And we we are the David, right, slaying our slaying our giants. You know, you seem to indicate that many people have missed the whole point of of these Old Testament stories because they do not have a biblical theological framework to view them in. Um, you know, I, I think it was you you have this line on the uh, the album. I I don't know who it is, but it's uh, Uh, we, when they read the stories like this, it's, it's, they become just moralistic examples for us to live by. Right. And David and Goliath is a huge one I've seen uh, in my, my Christian walk where, where that's the case. Can you, can you unpack how David and Goliath um, is um, missed a lot by a lot of evangelicals today?
1: Absolutely. Yes. You know, when we think about David and Goliath, if we try to say, we are David, he's an example for us, be like David and defeat your Goliath, whatever that giant is in your walk, right. We must first we must first acknowledge that is certainly not the gospel. Mm. In fact, the good news of the gospel is that even though we have not overcome sin, <laughs> specific sin, specific sin issues, Even though we have not overcome Satan and we're unable in and of ourselves, not to mention the final enemy death, there is one who has. And it's quite clear when we put David and Goliath in context of the entire unfolding story of salvation, David and Goliath is actually a beautiful picture of the good news of the gospel, namely the son of David from the town of Bethlehem, from the tribe of Judah, The the anointed of the Lord, as David was anointed with oil, the spirit came upon him, setting him apart as a king. And he's the representative. David goes out to face Goliath as the representative of Israel. If David wins, Israel wins. If David loses, Israel loses. So he represents his people. And so if we're going to put ourselves in the story, we're much more like the trembling Israelites on the sidelines in desperate need of the Lord's anointed, the Shepherd King from the town of Bethlehem, from the tribe of Judah, who goes out with his shepherd weapon. And yes, the sling and the stone is crucial, but it's a shepherd weapon. Hmm. And so immediately, there's so many clues the Spirit has put into the Scriptures from the tribe of Beth- from the tribe of Judah, from the town of Bethlehem, a Shepherd King, uh, David, which means beloved, and so on. But when he goes out to face Goliath, understanding who Goliath is is also crucial. Oh yes, Goliath is depicted as a serpent figure in oh, the text. Yes. He his armor is at first this word armor. It appears for Saul's armor. Uh, uh, actually, later in the chapter, Shiryon armor. But Goliath's armor is armor of scales, scaly armor. Actually, the NIV translates it nicely. Armor of scales or scaly armor. And this word for scales is used every other time in the Old Testament for reptiles, sea creatures, Pharaoh the dragon in Ezekiel 29. And so you already have a a, a pointer to the fact that Goliath is depicted as a beast. Also, Brother Chris, Goliath as a giant, he's a descendant of the Nephilim who then um, become the Anakim, the Nephilim are before the flood, uh, 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 a people who are huge people, who are an offspring of the serpent people, uh, children of the devil, as Jesus says, unbelievers are in John 8. But these beastly people are those that the Israelite spies are terrified of whenever they go and spy out the land in the book of Numbers. Um, Goliath embodies Uh, These Canaanite people groups, these idolatrous, wicked idol worshipers who offered their children into the fire, ancient Near Eastern abortions, who indulge in homosexuality, bestiality, and uh, all kinds of immorality, had multiple gods, wicked sinners whom the Lord commissioned Joshua and Israel to destroy and bring God's judgment on. But we know that the judges, they couldn't drive out these nations. And so here comes David coming up to Goliath, who embodies these stubborn, wicked Canaanite uh, evil idolaters, but who are giants and who are essentially a picture of the serpent himself. Mm. And Goliath also likens himself uh, to a dog, although accidentally. Uh, David likens him to a bear or a lion that he struck down. And so who is Goliath? He's the beast. And remember Satan is the craftiest of the beasts. So if David's a type of Christ, Goliath is clearly a type of Satan. Right. And Chris, I'm not making this up. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 12 and Luke 11. Oh, yes. He depicts this uh, David and Goliath story as being about him. First, you must bind the strong man. Goliath is called their strong man, by the way. You must bind their strong man. You must bind the strong man and go in and strip him of his armor. That's exactly what David does last point brother chris how does david take out goliath it's the crushing of the head
0: mm, yes
1: and we have the theme of crushing the head of the enemy and to crush the to crush an enemy's head in ancient near eastern culture means to give a lethal death blow to to take the power away from the enemy and so when david crushes the head of goliath and cuts off his head, there's much emphasis on, the, on, on bringing destruction to the power of the enemy. The head crushing of the serpent figure echoes back to the first promise of the gospel. Genesis 3.15, that the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Not to mention, even in redemptive history, the offspring of the woman is the offspring of Abraham, the offspring of david is the lord jesus christ himself chris i don't know if you have the chart um, yes uh, that that shows how this unfolding the unfolding of the offspring promise itself uh, works out in redemptive history yes but it'd be dope if you could pull that yes, up yes it's
0: it's on the screen now excellent and so uh yes this 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 just shows the progressive revelation through uh through seed form through acorn to it grows to this giant tree, to where we're like, "Oh, that, that," t-. And, and I'm, and just to show this, Tim, there's people in the chat that are just saying, "This seems so obvious. I see it," you know, the, and and that's how it is, right? Um, I I remember when you showed this idea of the the scales, I was just blown away about this serpent-like figure of 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 Goliath, of and we we see that description in the Book of Revelation with right the the Antichrist, right the 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 beast like figure this, you know, yeah. like you said, uh, there's this typology of Christ. There's also Satan has his types, right? And brother, that that was that was just mind blowing and so helpful. I don't know if you have anything else to add to that point.
1: Yeah, I would like to add. Um, there's a good concern that God's people have to want to see David as an example, and so you can eventually get there. But you first have to take it to Christ. So, for instance, we fight sin. But the only way we can overcome temptation, the only way we can resist the devil so he'll flee is if the son of David, our shepherd king, has overthrown the the enemy on our behalf, right? And so the only way I'm going to kill sin is if Christ has already broken the enslaving power of sin, not to mention Satan's the accuser. That's what his name means in Hebrew. Satan means accuser. I can't even uh, fight sin in my walk when I am weighed down by the accusation of guilt of sin. Christ has canceled that on our behalf. Brother Chris, we know about cancel culture. My favorite cancel culture is Christ who has canceled the record of debt that stood against us by nailing it to the cross. And then he overcame death. And so in the face of death, All of us are going to face death unless we're here when the Lord returns. We are going to deal with the ultimate final enemy, as Paul calls death in 1 Corinthians 15. How are we going to overcome death? It's only one overcoming in our place. So yes, uh, David does overcome Goliath, and he empowers us to fight our giants, but it's only through his power. So another way to look at it is David overcomes the giant first. And then as you continue to read Samuel, when you get to 2 Samuel, David has his mighty men. David's mighty men slay giants. In fact, one of David's mighty men slays Goliath's brother. Hmm. But first, the pattern is set by the Davidic king. Amen. And so as Christ's disciples, we're his mighty men. And we and, and the Lord calls us to fight spiritual warfare, but we can only overcome if he's overcome first, which he has. And that's what our people need to hear we have sheep, family members, friends um, Christians who are uh, being crippled by the power of sin in 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 all kinds of addictions they need to hear the good news that Christ has not only uh, set us free from condemnation and guilt but the enslaving power of sin and David and Goliath just comes to us as a beautiful narrative uh, to paint that picture oh absolutely um <clears throat>
0: So let's 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 provide a, a little pushback. Right. Because there are some people because of their maybe their upbringing who you kind of mentioned this in the song that that aren't comfortable with the language you're using. Right. They uh, you, you mentioned it here in, in the line. So so just grammatical, historical is actually deplorable if it doesn't point to him whose majesty is adorable. Right. So can you can you break down for people? What 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 do you yeah. mean? Right. When you mention that. Absolutely.
1: Yes, so grammatical historical exegesis has been uh, perhaps the most well-known method of interpreting the Bible. And grammatical historical exegesis has great intentions, because what it's saying is, first, you need to study the grammar in the text, whether you're in Genesis, Joshua, Proverbs, uh, whether you're in Isaiah, Luke. Uh, romans or hebrews you need to study the grammar you also need to understand the historical context and those are excellent very important uh pointers and uh, procedures for uh explaining the scriptures expositing the, the text however some folks try to say grammatical historical is the right way to interpret david and goliath and so you can't say it's about jesus right You got to do grammatical historical exegesis is what they'd say. Mm -hmm. But I would, the the pushback that I give in response is who wrote the grammar, grammatical grammar, who wrote the words? First Peter one, 10 through 12 said, it's the spirit of Christ who is in the prophets who move them to write the old Testament. Mm -hmm. So the grammar is Christian, is messianic, is Christ's grammar. He owns it. He inspired it. He wrote it breathing through his inspired servants. Secondly, historical. It's redemptive historical. It's redemptive history. And so the the problem that grammatical historical is, is when it gets ripped uh, ripped away from Christ and it gets put in a vacuum as if the grammar is not Christ-centered and as if the history is not redemptive history. But the way that the Bible interprets itself, as we saw in our chart, is God has one unfolding story of salvation. And his plan all along was for the offspring of the woman to come and crush the head of the serpent. In his covenant of grace, to send a savior. In, uh through Abraham, to bless all the nations scattered at Babel and bring them back to himself. Through Israel, to bring about a law-keeping king, uh, a prophet, a priest. Uh, uh, to be the ultimate sacrifice, to dwell among his people as the final temple, and so on. And so to try to isolate a text away from Christ, is it does dishonor to our Lord. And so our Lord Jesus Christ uh, gives us a lot of his own pushbacks, against uh the interpreters of his day when he walked the earth for his earthly ministry namely the pharisees yes. who had their own grammatical historical anti-christian exegesis so right. anything to add to that uh chris that you can think of
0: yeah uh you and you kind of got to it right there it does it doesn't seem to uh you know jive well with jesus's own hermeneutic you know with with text that he brings up with out of egypt i'll call my son you know is, is a, a great example of this or to get explicitly Christ uh you know the, the the Jonah right serving as some kind of type of the resurrection of Christ um right. man j- just fascinating and maybe if that's not enough right we can go to apostolic interpretation where you have Paul uh laboring home the point about you know uh Rebecca and Sarah right serving as you know analogous to the covenants. And so, That's right. brother, when when I was studying this, I was just overwhelmed. I was, bro, it it brought joy in my Christian walk, to to you know to to read the Old Testament now with Christian. Uh, what you're talking about, Christian lens is not not right, like yeah. like our uh like like a Jew would right, because they miss Christ, right. right? Yeah. But you know it, it it was it was just such a joy for me. It's I mean, still is you know to see these Christological examples to, to see Christ in the text. I'll, I'll often make the uh, the joke that when I was reading the Old Testament, I, I don't know if you ever saw the movie uh, Rudy, uh, but that's how I viewed <laughs> Jesus, right? Rudy was a football player and he only got in in the fourth quarter. And that's how I saw Jesus, right? He, he's waiting to get in. And if you want to really see Christ, just go to the gospels. Because, you know, besides from a few messianic promises, I mean, you really need to go to the Gospels. But biblical theology kind of, it shapes your mind and see, whoa, he, he, he's there all along, you know?
1: Yeah. That's so good, Chris. I love how you put that. It's amazing how in Galatians 3, it actually says that the Lord preached the gospel to Abraham. Wow. The scriptures yes. are personified here uh in in after it quotes genesis 15 verse 6 that abraham believed god and it was counted to him as righteousness uh know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of abraham Mm. and the scripture foreseeing that god would justify the gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to abraham saying in you that is in your offspring all the nations shall be blessed And so you're right. It isn't just go to the gospels, praise God for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the gospel was preached even to the Old Testament believers who looked ahead to Messiah who would come. Mm -hmm. I also love how you put it. um, When we read the Old Testament and we don't keep Christ in mind as central to it, we are doing exactly what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3. Mm. that the unbelieving Jews were doing, they are reading the scriptures with a veil, a veil over not their eyes and minds over their hearts. Mm. And it's not till one turns to Christ that the veil is taken away. And of course he's using, uh, uh, he, he's echoing back to Moses coming off the mountain, who's after seeing the Lord's glory. And Paul goes on to say in all of the glory, Is in the face of Christ. Amen. So Paul understands the glory of God that he revealed to Moses in Exodus on the mountain, in Exodus 33 and 34. It's seen most fully in Jesus. And so the the scriptures that the apostles had that they ministered with until the New Testament was written, it was sufficient. That brings me to 2 Timothy 3, Mm. where uh, Paul actually tells Timothy that this deal he's speaking of the old Testament scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. Second Timothy three 15, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God. Hmm. We love verse 16 and we should, but we need to back up one verse and see, yo, Timothy, the old Testament
0: has been enough to save you. Yes. Yes. By faith in Christ. Right. Amen. Amen. That that's a good point. So maybe maybe some people need more more evidence, right? So are are there any other texts that suggest this view? Um uh, I, I know you, you uh in, in this song you pointed to First Peter, right, one, chapter one, uh ten through twelve. Could you could you elaborate on that text as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's just amazing that you know, the spirit of Christ, this phrase, the spirit of Christ is often used in the New Testament uh, for after Jesus has died and been raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, he's poured out the spirit. And, and so Paul calls uh, the post Pentecost Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ in, in Romans chapter eight. It's so crazy and amazing that Peter he calls the, the, the one who spoke through the prophets, the spirit of Christ, spirit of Messiah. Yeah. He says this in 1 uh, Peter, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted, literally when he bore witness beforehand the sufferings of Christ mm. and, the, and the glories to follow, the subsequent mm. glories. And then, again, suffering and glory, that's the pattern Luke uses often in Luke 24 and in Acts. Suffering and glory, the two estates of Christ. Uh, yes, yes. First, he came as a suffering servant in his humiliation. Then he was exalted into glory. And so, again, that pattern of suffering and glory, it, it's laid out in the Old Testament. Even David, after he's anointed the first time. Um, And goes to fight Goliath. He's not recognized as the king, is he? Saul persecutes him with his men. David's on the run in the wilderness. Huh? The messianic king in the wilderness. That sounds familiar. David himself thirsts for the Lord. Psalm 63, as we see our Lord fasting in the wilderness. David has a humiliation and suffering estate period first and then it's not until second samuel five he's recognized by israel and judah anointed a second time our lord jesus had two anointings both at his baptism anointed by the father the spirit comes down upon him and he goes into the wilderness to overthrow the greater goliath satan then an entire life of suffering and trial uh, seen most in his death on our on our behalf in the at the cross then he's raised up and anointed a second time just like david Uh, As it says in Acts 2, the Spirit, uh, uh, the Father anoints Christ with the Spirit who pours him out on his church. But the point in 1 Peter 1, it's the Spirit of Christ who bore witness beforehand about the death and resurrection of Jesus, his suffering and glory. So it's the Spirit of Christ referring to the second and third persons of the Trinity. And so it's not only Jesus as the subject or the focus of the Old Testament content. But the author, the writer of them. Mm. <laughs> and so, Christians, whether you're Jew or Gentile, the Old and New Testament are Christian books. Amen. And so it's they're ours. And so, yes, we long to see unbelieving Jewish people come to faith in Messiah. Uh, and, and they're the natural branches. But praise the Lord that He's grafted in into one tree. Jesus is the is the one tree, the one vine. His his branches. One more verse uh, that I just really want to look at is John chapter five, where Jesus tells the Pharisees, "You guys search the scriptures because you think in them there's eternal life. However, it's them that bear witness about me. So thinking that there's life in the scriptures apart from Christ." That's blasphemy according to our Lord. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And then he goes on to say, do you think I'm going to accuse you to the father? There's one who accuses you. Moses, the Mm. one that you're putting your hope in. If you believed Moses, you'd believe me. Why? He
0: wrote of me. (laughs) Moses wrote about me. So good. So good. Um, I mean, it, 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 you know, it points us to, to Christ always, you know, we, we can never miss Christ with this lens. So how about something, you know, cause I, I think of my wife with times like this, you know, she's, I'll say something of this and she's like, okay, okay. What's the practical application? Okay. Right. You've, you've, you've brought me up to the highest of heavens, right? What's, what's the, um, the practical uh, view of this? Like, how, how do we practically see this? Things like that. Right.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Praise God for our wives, man, who who, who are asking the right questions. Oh, yes. <laughs> and help us bring these things down to earth and bring them into our daily lives. Mm-hmm. You know, the danger of not recognizing Christ as central to the Old Testament is that it's not practical because it brings about a handful of dangers. One, moralism. Mm-hmm. Moralism is try harder Christianity. And moralism is relying on the flesh. It's relying on the power of man instead of the power of God. Hmm. And what does Paul say? The power of God is the gospel. (laughs) I am not ashamed. Praise God for Romans one, one six, right? (laughs) I am not ashamed of the gospel for this reason. It's the power of God for salvation for all who believe, you know, from faith to faith, from the second you got saved to the next day, you got sa- to the next day after already being saved, as you're being saved from the power of sin on a day by day basis. And Paul, in the verse before that, says, I'm so glad I'm coming to Rome, Romans, so that I can preach the gospel to you. You're already believers, right. and I want to preach the gospel to you. The power of God to change God's people is the gospel and the gospel is the person and work of christ it's who jesus is and what he's done in his saving righteousness and the forgiveness of sins and to break us free from the enslaving power of sin our adoption our sonship uh, our suffering with christ as his disciples and the promise of being raised up being made like him and so every sunday if you're a pastor if you're a preacher you need to be giving people Christ from the text Mm. because otherwise it's not the power of God to transform your people. Mm. And when you're doing your devotions, Christians, as Chris uh, alluded to in the beginning, you should be asking, how does this passage point me to Christ? And yes, the more we study the word, the more wisdom his spirit will give us. And there's resources to help us to understand these things uh, so that we can see Christ rightly, but we don't have to read Christ into the text He's already there. He wrote it and and it's about him and it's for his glory. How are we made like Jesus? 2 Corinthians 3.18, the spirit, the Lord who is the spirit, he transforms us from one degree of glory, glory to the next as we behold his glory, where? In the word. As I see Jesus in his great beauty and his saving love and mercy and holiness and wrath and grace I'm transformed and made
0: like him. And so it doesn't get more practical than that, bro. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, you know, you just follow these themes. They're they're, they're practical for church, like you said, for for pointing people to Christ and sanctification. Um, You know, for for, you know, just following the typology of the Bible with things like church discipline. They're, They're already there. In the Old Testament, right? In the garden, right, with with Israel's theocracy. Uh man, just so much uh as someone says in the chat where where Andy Stanley said where well, we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. No, we need to we need to stay with it and see it rightly, right? Not with right. uh only grammatical historical uh eyes because like you said, it just becomes plain moralism at the end of the day. Right. You know, just just be like the Israelites, be like David on, on this point, you know, and it's like you missed the point, you know, uh, how right. would you respond to the accusation that, OK, you're, you're just I, I see what you're saying. Maybe I agree with your conclusion, but you're 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 to get there. Right. You're you're uh, you're reading too much into these passages. How, how would you respond to that charge from uh, from people who generally have a historical grammatical approach? I would I would say, do they
1: charged our Lord the same? Mm. <laughs> With all of the things we've looked at, is Jesus reading himself into Jonah? Mm. You know John chapter twelve says that Isaiah saw his glory when when our Lord was on the throne in in Isaiah six. so if if we're gonna push that, we, um, we, we're gonna we're gonna end up basically saying, the apostles are wrong yeah but the apostles were speaking christ's words and bro there are people who have already renounced the faith because they've followed certain biblical scholars uh, like pete ends and walter brueggemann who have basically tried to say that the apostles imagined jesus in the old testament what they call the apostolic imagination right. and jesus imagine the old testament was about him it was really just about ethnic israel in jesus basically and so and you know what those dudes are they're not in christ You're right they, and and at the end of the day uh their hope is is in self You're right and so i would just say um our our lord and his uh his inspired apostles and and new Testament writers give us the lenses for how to rightly understand the, the, the new, the, the old Testament. And we, yes, the old Testament has been fulfilled. And so we, we need to understand um, there is uh, a a distinction um, between the old and the new Testament. There are certain things that have been fulfilled to the point of being abolished, like the sacrificial system and so on. And so we're not saying we need to rebuild a temple, because guess what? Christ has already Christ is the temple in His church by His Spirit. We're not saying we need to reinstitute the sacrificial system; that would be blasphemous to the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ, and so on. Uh, And so we we have um, arrived at a place in the New Covenant Church where we don't have to go backwards. That would be redemptive historical. Uh, downgrade retrograde right 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 if <laughs> you go from the iphone to the flip phone you know <laughs> and, um, and so on however we need to the 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 more we understand the old testament the better we'll understand the new testament because it's the primary background and our lord is painted in the colors and hues and um and imagery of of the old testament and so the more we know the old testament the better we'll understand the new testament the better we'll know christ himself oh
0: yeah excellent excellent point um like i said and i i believe if if one was to to just just follow jesus conclusions right (laughs) follow the apostles conclusions who whom the faith is based on christ right he's our omniscient lord right (laughs) follow his follow his hermeneutic and you you will you will see a lot of these things you know i love that bro yeah so uh so
1: what,
0: what what about this so are are there any resources that could Cause some people, I mean, I know when I, I, I'll give you one, re, I'll give someone one resource. I start first started reading Klein and I was just like, ah, oh, you know, like who is this guy, you know? And, and it was, it was something hard to digest. Right? Um, he, right. He speaks in a foreign language sometimes. So, so maybe we can do this. Some, some things that can stretch people's mind, right. Like the clients and someone that can speak in layman terms. Right. To the yeah. person who's not maybe the the, the, the the house mom. Right. Like what, right. what could help her? Things like that. Yeah. Yes.
1: Edmund Clowney um, is a really helpful um, biblical theology teacher yes. in the book that you have there, K-Dub. That's what I primarily recommend, man. That's the that's the real unfolding, by the way. That's right. <laughs> uh, unfolding mystery uh, is written for lay people. And yet it is by no means shallow it is so rich. And so he shows how uh, the old Testament is about Christ on its own terms. And so once you've gone through that, uh, then you might be ready for new Testament biblical theology by GK Beal. Oh, yeah. um, yep. And the commentary on the new test, the, the, the new Testament use of the old Testament, which K Dub has behind him by Beale and Carson is super duper helpful. And, and so I would say that's, You know, both from easy to then more medium to hard reading, but super rich. And then I'd eventually really encourage folks to read Biblical Theology, Old and New Testament by Gerhardus Voss. As I always love to say, Voss is boss.
0: That's right. Uh,
1: And so those are some helpful resources. And, you know, again, you mentioned um, the book, The Unfolding, based on the album or the album based on the book. Um, It's just been a blessing to teach it in in Sunday school at at the church where I'm pastoring. Mm. Um, And so if you are edified by the songs on the unfolding album to, to, to really dive into the word, that's the purpose of the unfolding book. That's
0: right. Uh, Another resource is uh, I'm sure you've heard of him, uh, Lane Tipton. Uh, He's, he came to our church recently and man, it just, the, uh, the study of, HarmoniGan, right? The mountain theme of the Lord was was so yeah. encouraging to our church that pe- people are still talking about it just because wow. it was so excellent. Uh, one of the things I, I enjoy by your album is that <laughs> I'm still listening to it to to digest a lot of it because it's that heavy. It's 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 that in depth on on a lot of these biblical themes that you know. To be honest, growing up, I never I never even considered you know some of these reflections, and so. I mean, you know, you have 14-minute songs on there, and I'm I'm still listening to, to hear about the glory fire, right, and things like that, and following the the glory cloud as a Klein using Klein language right there. Uh right. It's it, it's so in depth. It's so in depth.
1: Praise the Lord, bro. And that's just the goodness of the Lord's word, man. And it's just skimming the surface, and it will literally take us all eternity. Uh, for our Lord to continue to unpack the glories of Christ in his word. And it'll be amazing. We'll get new revelation. Then we have all the revelation we need, all the special revelation we need in the scriptures. When our Lord returns, it's the revealing or the revelation of our Lord. And he'll give new revelation to us. The the living Christ himself, Emmanuel God with us shining forth in his glory. Uh, We in our family devotion tonight, uh, one of our sons, a nine-year-old. He's, you know, is that all that the angel says? That the, the seraphim, does he? Is is all he says? Is holy, holy, holy? Doesn't he get tired of, of saying <laughs> saying that? And my wife said, "Son, he can only say that. Mm. That's all he wants to say mm. because of how glorious the Lord's holiness and beauty and goodness is." as he beholds him. And so, yes, man, the Lord is good to him. Be the glory K dub as, as
0: your sign says in the back, solely Deo Gloria. Amen. Amen. Any, any, uh, any advice you would give uh, to someone, um, you know, maybe this is the first time they're, they're hearing about biblical theology and in, in, in this manner of way, uh, like I said, any, any advice or encouragement you would give them personally as, as they journey through some of these yeah. old Testament texts, well, anything helpful for them, you would give them.
1: Yes. Great. Um, I'm, that's an excellent question, bro. Oftentimes the Lord can use what's already familiar to us. And so I'm sure many um, brothers and sisters in Christ are already familiar with uh, Mary's prayer of praise in Luke chapter one, um, the, the Magnificat. Mm-hmm. And so if you read Mary's prayer, of praise when the angel Gabriel has revealed to her that the son of God uh, will be born through her. And also that same chapter, uh, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah and his prophecy, read their prayers, their prophecies. It's packed with old Testament content. And it's basically giving praise to the Lord God for keeping his promises that he made through the prophets and for him bringing about what he promised to Abraham and David and so on. So I would encourage you to um, start there and also look at the Psalms. Psalm 105 and Psalm 106 are excellent Psalms. Psalm 78 as well. The way that the Bible understands itself, and this makes sense in light of Luke 24, the Bible with the Lord speaking through the Bible understands it's one story of salvation and it loves to tell the unfolding story and and connect the dots for us and so the psalms are an excellent place uh to be reading matthew 1 1 again if you don't mind putting up that chart one more time brother chris the very first verse in the new testament is biblical theology redemptive historical biblical theology uh the book uh, of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. And so the very, we love John 1, 1, and we should, we love other verses, we should, but but the Lord and his sovereignty and his providence has the very first verse of the New Testament, B1, that connects the dots backwards to uh, not only God's promise to raise up an offspring or son from David, but also to Abraham. And Matthew is essentially saying, This is the one. He's the one all along that God has been promising. And so I would just say, begin to notice it as you read his word. Lastly, look at the sermons that the apostles preach in the book of Acts. Oh, yes. Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4 and 5, and even in their prayers. um, uh, Stephen's sermon. I I was just going
0: to go there. (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah. Paul sermon acts 13 man what do they do to show messiah to show jesus as christ they point you to the old testament and they connect the dots and paul will even go so far as to say guys why are you trying to kill me i'm just preaching to you the hope of israel mm. the resurrection the hope of israel has been the resurrection all along so Yeah, bro. You know, we, yep. There's great resources that we mentioned, which you mentioned, and I'm I'm so glad you've dived into yourself, K-Dub. But again, the word does biblical theology for us. This is, this is God's idea.
0: Yeah. Just, just read the, read the Bible, right? Essentially. It's like you'll get biblical theology, right? It's like someone else has to give you another hermeneutic, right? But if if you read the Bible, you'll, you'll see it. And so, man, uh, Tim, man, thank you for coming okay. on. Uh, I I'm just so encouraged with with all the things you're doing and 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 the biblical theology from the album. It it, it for me, I'll say why. Also, I enjoy the album. It it explained a lot of the things I was struggling with, with 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 Klein, right? With 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 Voss, and it was like, oh, okay, okay. This is what this is what they were saying. And So, um, for all those listening, um, check out Timothy Brindle's album, The Unfolding, because. And just continue to listen and continually just digest what's being told because it is an album of biblical theology that will that will help you if you continue Amen. to listen to that.
1: Praise God, K-Dub, and praise God for your ministry, bro, and your faithfulness to the Lord by His Spirit. The Spirit bears the fruit of faithfulness. It's encouraging to see you clinging to the Lord Jesus, man. Amen. And may He continue to bless uh, your ministry, your family, and your work, bro. It's just a pleasure to co-labor with
0: you and look forward to more opportunity. Yes. Well, thank you all for watching. You guys know how we do it. Till the next time, y'all. Grace and peace.